Hi, this is Laura Beam from Mortgage Architects, and I'm here with the SME Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey everybody, thanks for on the show. We got a great episode today with Laura Beam. Laura Beam is a mortgage agent. Now, a little bit about Laura. After over 20 years in the corporate world, she got licensed as a mortgage agent in 2020. She's currently working as an agent at Mortgage Architects, part of the DLC group, which is one of the largest brokerages in Canada. She's also part of an amazing team that does over $250 million in mortgages every year. Now, on a personal note, Laura loves to travel and is a cruising expert. She would love to talk travel all day long, she actually won her family a free cruise, so looking forward to hearing about how she did that. She also has a hobby farm with over 100 animals, and she's also married with two children. So it's going to be a very interesting story today with Laura, and I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, all the things that she can do for aspiring mortgage agents. So sit back and absorb. All right, we have Laura Beam from Beam Mortgages. Laura, how are you doing today? I'm great. Th- thanks, Ken. How are you? Doing well. The weather is starting to warm up now. If you survive the uh, Arctic freeze we had here in Canada last week or so, where it was, I think, minus 20 or so, feeling like minus 30. But uh, you didn't have to go out too much, did you? No, I didn't. Thank goodness. But my husband uh, plows for a living and was out quite a bit. So He's warm, though. Yes, he's warm in his truck. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as he's warm, yeah. that's all that matters. I mean, it'd be very sucky uh, if he was like that. But uh, it's so weird how the weather is up and down going on this whole year. You know, like, I think we had a, a white Christmas in December. Now we're filming this in February. But I was happy just using my snowblower at least a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. And I used it a couple of times in January. And I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to see it until this coming December. Yeah, although we, we can't really complain. It's been a pretty light winter, but yeah, I totally agree. Well, I feel like when it comes down, it comes down hard. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> for at least for the for the last few for the last couple of months or so. Yeah. So before I just because I said in a perfect world, I would love for it to be like maybe like a decent sized snowfall, maybe like ten centimeters on, maybe like the December twenty third, and then totally melt by Boxing Day. Right. So you still get that white Christmas, and then we're good right. after that. But unfortunately, it didn't play like that. We still got a lot of snow, but then it melted fairly quickly, except for this last one. But uh, all right, aside from that, Laura's here to give us all a lot of knowledge here about the mortgage space and how to succeed as an agent. So, be more. what's your story? Uh, yeah, so I have actually been in the corporate world for kind of over 20 years. I know I look a lot younger than that, but over 20 years in the corporate world, actually worked at Loblaws head office, the entire and most recently Nielsen, the TV ratings. Uh, and in 2020, uh, wanted to make a, a change, uh, just wanted to be kind of the master of my own destiny, as I like to say it. I actually loved, 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 loved my job. Uh, but was just tired of kind of not being in control of my destiny. So I did a bunch of research in the uh, kind of during 2020 uh, and landed on becoming a mortgage agent. So I got licensed in 2020 and have been uh, living the dream ever since. Living the dream. Well, that's a great one. So so what what, what was it about mortgages? Because like you said, you can control your destiny. Was There's obviously during the pandemic, because I think this is just when it started happening, a lot of people started venturing off into different things, whether it's other businesses or other types of industries altogether. So what was it about the mortgage space that just kind of drew you into that? 
So I actually have always loved personal finance and real estate. We own a rental. Um, just like I said, I've always loved the power of real estate. I actually did look into becoming a realtor, um, a financial planner, and a mortgage agent, and felt that the realtor space was way too oversaturated. Um, and the financial planner space, uh, I did not want that much control over people's retirement. So what I quickly realized, though, is uh, mortgages have kind of the same amount of stress. There has been a lot of sleepless nights on some files that I have. But uh, to be honest, those were the three things I looked into because of all of the personal finance aspect and just landed on the mortgage agent because I felt like it was a good balance uh, from what I was looking for. Yeah, because I think see, with mortgage agencies, like at least from my understanding, my limited knowledge of it is that for realtors or real estate salespersons, you're literally taking either people to and from properties or doing a whole bunch where mortgage agents were more, I guess, maybe more on the background, right? So you'll be consulting with clients, some mainly either through phone or maybe Zoom, um, maybe not as much as in person, maybe is that right? And then, you know, you're just doing the number crunching and trying to find the best deal for your clients, right? Yeah, I do have some clients either that are elderly or just people that are more comfortable meeting in person. So I do meet with some folks in person if that's what they want. But yeah, I would say probably 90% of what I do is kind of over the Zoom or phone, whatever the person. All right. So what kind of services do you provide as a mortgage agent? Because I think most people think, oh, they only just do mortgages if I want to buy uh, a new house or property or anything like that. Can you explain to the users what other services that a mortgage agent can do aside from just obviously the main one, which might be just, you know, I want to buy a home and I'm looking to get a mortgage. Yeah. So I uh, specialize kind of on the residential side. So uh, not really trying to dabble too much in commercial. That's very, very specialized. Um, and to your point, uh, help people with uh, purchasing, selling or refinancing or even at renewal. So your mortgage is up and you need to or want to switch to a new lender, uh, which I think is what a lot of people think about when they think about mortgages. We also can do things like secured MasterCards or visas. So uh, a MasterCard or visa that's actually attached to your house uh, and as a result has a lot lower uh, interest rate. Uh, so that's kind of uh, enticing to some folks. Uh, we do lines of credit, um, basically kind of anything that's secured against your house uh, is where I can provide some help. Okay, perfect. And and how would you say, like, in your, how you run your business right now, like, what's, are you able to give us just some high level percentages of, in terms of the biz revenue that comes in, is it X amount for mortgages and Y percent for, you know, refinancing or credits and stuff like that? So I actually do a quite quite a bit on the what we would call the switch side. So when your mortgage is up for renewal, switching over. And I, I actually trend higher than most people on that. So a lot of agents who have been in the industry for a long time don't do any switch volume. Uh, mine is actually quite high compared to others. Uh, and so I'd probably do uh, maybe roughly like 40% switches, uh, 30% um, purchases, and the rest uh, refinance. Okay. Wow. That's pretty cool uh, of, of how that's going to go. So interesting. So how big is your team right now? Are you the solopreneur? Do you have like an assistant or how big is your team? So I am a solopreneur, but I'm attached to a larger team. So we're actually a pretty successful team here in Ontario. Uh, across our smaller team, we actually do uh, over $250 million in mortgages every year. So that's mortgage volume, not actually uh, revenue what we're making just to clarify but yeah i'm part of a, a large laura's team. lying it's actually how much money she generates <laughs> oh i wish 
but no, that, that's pretty cool then. So right now, uh, obviously the market's very weird right now, right? In yeah. terms of everyone's freaking out. Interest rates are still fairly high, even though I think from last part, like I said, this is February, this is like what, February, 2023. Mm -hmm. And I think the last uh, rate increase was, I believe what last week or so from the uh, federal or from the bank of Canada. And uh, they're, they're saying they're supposed to be, and I'm using the air quotes, this is the last one for at least a bit, and they're going to just remain steady. Uh, so I don't know what's your take on that. Do you think that's actually going to happen, or do you think there might be some changes? I know you don't have a crystal ball. I wish but... I did. Uh, I will tell yeah. you kind of three things. So the first thing is he actually said the same thing in December. He said, we believe we're at the top of the rate hikes. So I uh, said the same thing in December. And to your point, we still had an increase in January. Um, he also said in the same meeting in January, but we're not afraid to keep going if we need to. I think the media has grasped on to the, we think we're at the end, but listened or ignored, <laughs> sorry, the part that said, but we're not afraid to go higher. Uh, so I'll say those two comments. The other things I will say is uh, it's very dependent on the inflation and job numbers uh, and consumer price index that come out in February, which uh, haven't come out yet. We're just waiting for those to come out. I think that will give us a better indication because that was part of the challenge in December is um, thought he thought we were at the end uh, and the job numbers came out and we thought we were going to add 5,000 jobs to the job market. We added 104,000. So uh, the economy was too strong to continue to want to pause there. So uh, I'd say let's see what happens with the numbers that come out in February. Uh, the flip side to all of that is uh, we do need them to pause to see the impact of the changes that they've made. And there has been no pausing. Every meeting last year and the first one this year has been an increase. Uh, so I, I, that's the only thing I would say to counteract that is I do think they recognize that they need to give it a bit of time to see uh, the impact of the increases that they have made. Well, yeah, and think also too, and, and trying to figure out, I know, I think I just read the news recently that I think like the grocery chains are now having to meet with like different areas of the government to talk about food prices, because I think for a lot of people, average Joe's, Joe, Jolene's, whatever you want to call it, average everybody, mm -hmm. uh, they always want to say, okay, I think if, if the rates were going up for mortgages, yeah, it's not fun. But if the price of everything else wasn't also going up at the same time, it would be a lot more bearable. Yeah. Right? I think it's, I feel like we're getting slammed on both ways because, okay, housing prices are starting to come down, mm -hmm. which is good, which is what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. But then everything else is kind of like, but you're paying more for, if you have a mortgage and then you're still having to pay more from just a daily, a day-to-day -day expense level. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can actually like, I used to work at Loblaw's head office, so I can kind of comment ah. a bit on that too. <laughs> uh, part of the reason why the grocery chains are having to meet with the government is Yes, to your point, we're seeing rising grocery prices because of inflation, but they're also showing record high profit. So that's part of the challenge, right, is, um, well, inflation on gas, as an example, is um, being caused by things like the war in the Ukraine. Uh, the fact that the grocery chains are making a considerable amount of profit while raising prices, it's hard to say that that's all due to inflation. So that's part of why they're meeting with the government. Oh, yeah, that too, right? Because I think... Uh... 
you know, I think everyone's in, in a bit of a pinch, like everyone's grocery bills are going up. But mm -hmm. uh, aside from that, then, so in all with everything kind of going on, mm -hmm. how do you see for your business then, uh, then, then, Laura, how do you see it growing? How much growth do you think you'll be able to achieve this year based on how everything's going? Yeah, so I think there's a few things um, kind of working for me and other agents, to be honest, I think if you're kind of looking for it there's always uh room to be found as one there's always renewals right people's mortgages are always up and to be honest that's actually uh, if you're not looking to take out uh additional funds that's actually the best time to have a renewal because we can get you over at a product that's typically lower rates than your bank is offering you so one you're always going to have people renewing two you already hit the nail on the head that um purchase prices are coming down. So I actually had quite a bit of purchases come in last week and the week prior because the housing prices have come down. Um, I also think we're going to have a lot of mortgage agents leave the industry. I think a lot of people joined in 2020, 2021, for the reasons you said, lots of people were kind of just took a look at their lives during COVID. Um, and it's not an easy business. So I, or easy. And I think a lot of people too think it's easy and like, you'll make a lot of money. So I think we're going to have people exit. So I think those kind of three things combined together is like the business is there. Um, if you want to look for it. So I think that will, um, kind of help me grow my business and kind of get me to where I want to be. So what is your plan like for, like, do you plan on expanding this year? You want to try and you know, get some more help or something like that or just to really grow it? Or do you still, do you like it? You like to stay as lean as you can over uh, the next uh, few years or so? Yeah, I, I definitely, it's not even like the next few years want to stay as lean as possible. What I am doing is investing in things like um, I implemented a custom uh, customer, custom customer relationship management software last year, really trying to perfect my process so that there's like not balls dropped and things going on like that. Um, so to be honest, that's my goal long-term is to be able to do this on my own, would like some help, uh, to take vacations. But, um, to be honest, my goal is to kind of get to the level where I, uh, am delivering the great customer service I already do, uh, but then not need to hire kind of more folks. Yeah. Cause I think it, the, the one thing I remember before, this is my brother-in-law used to work at, a, at one of the big banks before. And, you know, apparently when he was. They, he had to try him and my sister in law were getting ready to go on vacation. And I remember this many, many years ago, but they got he had to get pulled from just before they actually got to go on vacation because he worked in a very, you know, client focused area of the bank, like the wealth areas or capital markets, what do you want to call it? And uh, they said, We really need you. And he had to be pulled from vacation, but just before they reimbursed him, of course, which mm -hmm. is good. But and I think he was explained to me that sometimes it's not like when people go on vacation, we're talking about the average uh, office worker. When you go on vacation, yeah, you can say, you can find you know, a team member to kind of cover you while you're waiting, cover your accounts, maybe do some transactions for you or whatever it is. But I guess when you get, depending on the type of area that you're in, if it's very relationship focused, mm -hmm. it's hard to just say, oh yeah, I'm gonna hand it off to someone else because they can manage the relationship. Probably not Yeah, because of uh, how it is. I traveled last year a few times. And one amazing benefit about this job is you can actually do it from anywhere. I literally worked on a mortgage in the middle of an, the Atlantic Ocean on a cruise ship balcony last year. Um, and I even closed a mortgage while I was away. So it is and can be 100% remote. Um, different time zones can be a challenge. And at the end of the day, you do want a vacation. I'm a big believer in taking vacation, even when I worked in corporate. 
Uh, so I think that's just being able to actually like disconnect, but I totally agree with you. Um, just trusting someone with your business and your clients is super hard to do. It is. Yeah. Especially if, uh, you know, if, if they're a longtime client or the client really, it's not your business they, that they want is they want you right. in particular, right. Right? right? Because they know you, like you, trust you, you are the face of whatever service that they're looking to to do, they only want to go to you. And I always use the analogy of like, if you ever had to call into, let's say Rogers or Bell or any mobile carriers, and what would you rather do? Call into a 1-800 number or call someone directly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most people are going to want to do it directly, yeah. right? So that that's why. So, all right, for the beginner mortgage agent, what should they think about when it comes to expenses getting into this business? Yeah, so I think that's another challenge for people entering the industry and wanting to potentially make a quick buck or, again, think this is easy money. You can totally do it really lean, but I don't think you're going to necessarily like see success or uh, it's going to kind of cost you challenges. So definitely tech. Um, so I invested quite a bit in technology, whether it's like literally computer, I have a couple monitors, things like that. Uh, I did purchase a, a CRM, as I mentioned before. So that's like an annual fee that I pay. Um, you have to pay fees to your brokerage uh, for every brokerage that you work for. And it, legally, you have to work for a brokerage here in Canada. Um, I do quite a bit of training, which does cost money. Um, and then I think I'd say over and above all that, um, what my accountant would call advertising is is a huge expense line for me but to be clear it's not advertising out in the public who i am it's thanking uh customers with closing gifts it's thanking referral partners things like that uh and that actually can get quite pricey depending on what you do so i think that's one that's kind of overlooked for some agents joining is that you've got all these kind of costs um underneath and then of course if you're going to implement a website that you're not going to build yourself or have someone run your social media any of those things cost money that's obviously up to you if you want to spend that, that money yeah no i think i think what a lot of people think is that when they think of like advertising in the mortgage space i think sometimes they might cross that with the realtor space is that they think oh i got to put my picture on buses mm -hmm. or on park benches or billboards mm -hmm. or something like that but i like that you're actually trying a different approach where you're like just thank you gifts. And I remember the first property we ever bought, our real estate agent got us a nice little fruit basket, mm -hmm. just like a welcoming thing to, or maybe some flowers or something like that. But I was very, very uh, happy to see that. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting to see. Cause I mean, most people don't even think about stuff like that. So mm -hmm. those things do add up, especially mm -hmm. if you're closing a certain number of transactions and you wanna maintain that relationship. Cause I think from what I understand, from my limited knowledge in this space is that sometimes uh, maybe you can validate this is that some mistakes mortgage agents make is they go by deal by deal versus client by client. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about where. Yeah, you, you, I, I think what you're saying is like just saying, okay, on to the next one, on to the next one. I definitely am looking at each client, like kind of the lifetime of that client, whether they're buying another, like a rental property down the road, their mortgage renewal, and then referring you to, uh, other friends and family. I run an entirely referral-based business, so I only get leads from referrals. I don't do any advertising in terms of, to your point, like putting myself on a, a, a bus board or whatever, uh, things like that. So it's all a referral-based business that I run. Yeah, no, that, that's really great. That's pretty good. Is there, uh, so let me, now we're going to go to our industry view here. So what, in your opinion, uh, you kind of touched this upon a little bit before, but where do you see that the mortgage space is kind of going right now in the current direction? 
so it'll be interesting this year. So one of the challenges that we have is just people's propensity to wanting to deal with a bank, right? Like I get some clients on the phone. Uh, some people come to me and say, oh, I thought you only do private mortgages. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I have access. I do actually have access to banks. If you really want to stay with a bank, I have access to companies that just do mortgages. So one big hurdle we've always had to get across is the banks, right? Like I've had people say like, I just, I'm going to stay with my bank because I, I just am more comfortable there. But I think because of the rising interest rates, um, banks can only do, they only have access to a certain amount of products and their own uh, guidelines and rules. So what is ending up already starting to happen is they can't approve people like they could in the past. So we're seeing more people come into the broker channel because the bank can't approve them. And again, because I have access to different products, I can make things fit with different lenders. So I think um, we may start to see some of those uh, mortgage agents or just mortgage agents in general grabbing more market share because the banks aren't able to uh, kind of help that. Plus, to be honest, the bank rates are very high right now, right? So if you have those folks coming up for renewal, someone that previously would have been like, I'm just going to stay with my bank because they offered me this rate. I'm having people just at least get a second opinion. And when I show them some of the rates that I can get compared to the bank or offer them a different solution, it's opening their eyes. Um, so I think the market is going to cause kind of us to be able to get more market share is what I believe. Yeah. And I think that makes sense because, uh, you know, I think like anything, you know, you want to stick with some people like to stick with like the big guys yeah. and gals, whatever you want to call it, whether it's banks. And I even do the same thing with just any type of insurance that I use as well. And it ties into insurance is that I usually use a mortgage agent, not mortgage agent, but just a broker mm -hmm. per se for our, for regular regular insurance, whether it's uh, life or or car or home or whatever, mm -hmm. right? So when it comes to renewal, I don't, you know, I'll sometimes go through the regular channels and say, okay, we're looking to renew with you guys. What can you offer us? Mm -hmm. Versus, and I'll go to more, I'll go to a broker to say, okay, here is exactly what we are get paying right now. Right. So we're looking for either something, either more coverage for less or keep maintaining the same price, but more coverage or whatever, this sort of things. And some cases, some more, some, some brokers will say, yep, I can find you something. Or some will say, you know what? I looked around where you are is the best place for you. Mm -hmm. And I, that's all I need to hear. Yeah. I do the right? same thing. Right. So if someone is in the middle of a renewal, I don't kind of drag them down through kind of tons and tons of meetings. Like I'll let them know. And I have let people know you need to stay with your bank. Like you need to get into the bank and sign that renewal offer. Uh, and actually we did the same thing last year with our insurance, to be honest, I'm going to um, uh, kind of criticize myself here. We had been with one uh, insurance agent for a long time. And last year I was like, let me just get a second opinion on the right. insurance uh, <laughs> with someone I had been working with from a referral standpoint. And they saved us $1,400 a month on our insurance. And I was like kicking wow. myself that I hadn't done that previously. And I just let it go, right? I, I, I'm doing what I'm encouraging my clients not to do. I just kept signing the renewal offer and like $1,400 is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what people forget too. I think they, they, maybe it's that sense of loyalty that some people have depending on, you know, your background where you're just saying stick with the same place over and over again, which is not bad, especially if, if you've, let's say, had no issues with them at all, right? It's yeah. not like... For people who've had issues with whatever carrier that they're working with or with brokers that, or the banks that they dealt with, that they just want to leave, mm -hmm. right? But I think it's at the same time, you want to, if you're so comfortable with them, it's almost like that unknown, right. do we go 
to the note to the other place that uh, might offer us something better but we didn't even know about it and like i used to like i said part of my uh when i used to work at, like sorry in my regular job sometimes i'll be working with work dealing with suppliers that we've been doing business with for many years mm-hmm. right but the question is are we getting the right price for it mm-hmm. right and how do we know right right so something as simple as that of finding out what are the rates that uh, other suppliers are offering on the street right now mm-hmm. for the similar type of product or service? And if it's uh, better, of course, you don't want to jeopardize the relationship. But at the same time, you got to be, you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons. I'll take from a business aspect, but even to your own personal experience. Yeah, especially with today where inflation's really, inflation's still up. Mm-hmm. They say my, it's not going to go higher, but tell that to your grocery bills and other bills. It's still pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um be, be trying to see what makes sense for yourself, right? So, all right. So, what is that? Is there any other thing that people don't know about the mortgage space that they'd be surprised to know being in that uh, mortgage industry? Um, from like a employment perspective or mortgages in general? Both. Okay. Mortgages in general, I would say um, that consumers don't realize that, uh, and I kind of touched on this earlier, that every lender has different products. So just because you're declined at one bank does not mean you will be declined at another because each bank or lender looks at each situation differently. So I had a, I have a client last week that I'm working on and I can only actually get the deal to work at Scotia, but it's because of the puzzle pieces and how Scotia views kind of their application. Um, they would lend them the money versus other banks would not. So Going into one bank or lender doesn't automatically mean you can't get approved somewhere else, which I don't think I realized that as a consumer. I just thought it was kind of all math and whatever you were approved for is what you're approved for. Um, so I was yeah, so like your do not qualify list almost, right? So yeah. if you got rejected by a CIBC, then like, oh, then I'm not going right. to be able to get at any big bank. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'll just give an example. Um, one one way we can qualify people at certain banks is using their investments. So I had an older couple last year who was retired. They were in their 80s. And uh, we were actually able to qualify them using their investment statements, not even their income coming in, what they had invested. Uh, and they were making very small amount of pension income, right? So I think people would say, oh, they wouldn't be able to get approved for a mortgage. And they were approved for someone uh, making kind of double what they were making on a pension side. So I think that's the first thing is that um, not all banks look at every situation the exact same. Um, From uh, like going into this field, I would say, um, and again, if you do your research, I think you would notice this, but it it is 100% commission for the most part. So like you can find brokerages that will pay you small salary um, with some commission, but I would say most of the agents are 100% commission, uh, which I don't think all people realize. And I would add, our services are uh, no cost to people. I think a lot of people come to a mortgage agent um, thinking they actually have to pay for the service. And uh, with the exception of a private situation, which is rare, um, you our services are actually no cost to Good to know. Good to know. And, and that's a way to educate uh, the people as well. Because they're thinking, oh, you know, I think because, like you said, sometimes the mortgage slash real estate agent kind of gets almost blurred lines in a way because they're thinking, okay, we know we got to pay a commission mm. to the real estate person. So that, oh, wonder what the commission is for the mortgage person that they're going to be working with. So, you know, it's very interesting like that. And I'll make this, I told this story on a previous episode, but, you know, when we tried to sell our first home, 
So we were living in Stouffville, Ontario. And I always have a soft spot for Stouffville because that was the first house we ever bought. It was a townhouse. And I remember we were in the, not on the end units, we were in the middle unit, mm -hmm. which was, uh, you know, not going to be a selling as high because everyone wants to be on the, on the ends. But anyways, so we ended up deciding to, so we had my daughter and uh, Mrs. K and I found out we were going to have a son. And we're thinking, oh, maybe we should expand our living space. And you know why we had to expand? And I, I mentioned this story a long time ago, but we had family visit mm -hmm. our house. We had a simple three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bathroom with an unfinished basement townhouse. Mm -hmm. So, And we had a pull-out sofa bed. So there's our bedroom. Mm -hmm. Then there's one of the other rooms, which had to be for the kids because mm -hmm. we had uh, one of my daughter and my uh, people were visiting. My sister-in-law had to take the other spare bedroom and sorry, my in-laws had to take the spare bedroom and my brother and sister had to take the couch mm -hmm. on the main floor, which is a pull-out sofa bed. I'm an early riser. I came downstairs, everybody's still sleeping. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right. <laughs> Pour myself a bowl of cereal and I'm thinking, where the hell can I go? Mm -hmm. I can't eat here because I don't want to wake up my brother and sister-in-law. Mm -hmm. I can't eat in our bedroom because my wife is sleeping. Mm -hmm. The basement's unfinished. I ended up having to eat in the bathroom. <laughs> And I told myself, Laura, uh, <laughs> it's my house, and I feel like I'm, I'm I'm here eating a bowl of cereal on the toilet. Right. This, this can't be right. Right. We have to expand. So we decided to try and sell. And I think what I find is that most people maybe enjoy the buying process, mm -hmm. and they say, they stress about the selling process. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ended up having to something where we bought something we really liked, which is where we are right now, uh, now in Ajax, Ontario. Mm -hmm. But selling was a bit of a hard thing because – the first time we did a presentation day, for those not familiar, is that if a salesperson, a real estate salesperson tries to, usually when you're trying to sell a home, people can, you know, see your home, they can place an offer. But our strategy was having a presentation day where offers won't be, you know, you can only present offers on a specific day. Mm -hmm. So you can't just look at it, present an offer. Mm -hmm. So we got a decent, we had an offer from this real estate agent said, yep, we're good. I said, oh, okay. The price looked okay. Fern turned out that uh, that person didn't go through a mortgage person. And I got a call from my agent saying that, uh, yeah, the deal fell through. I said, what happened? What happened? Well, the, the buyer said, told the real estate agent that they have a mortgage person mm -hmm. on the inside to help them get qualified. Mm -hmm. They were not qualified. Mm -hmm. And then the deal went south. Yeah, it actually is... does surprise me how often people are shopping without an actual pre-approval. I think the uh, dawn of the internet age and people having pre-qualifying -qualif tools online, those aren't the same as a pre-approval and the numbers can be very, very different. So I think that's definitely a challenge. I had a client last year who um, sold his house firm, purchased a new house firm and the person buying his house didn't have the financing in order. Um, and he had to push out the closing of his house because of course he needed that money to be able to close. And they're now suing mm. him because the it, the fees and everything associated with getting pushed out almost a month in his case uh, were exorbitant, right? So, uh, yeah, anyone yeah. who's actually looking needs to get a pre-approval done. Yeah, and uh, one of those things, too, is that you have to make sure it's just get it done. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one less thing. Unless you have that money sitting around, which I'm like, wow. Yep. That's great. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, yep. but you got to be careful with stuff like that. So, Well, and who wants uh, to be anyways. looking at a house when you don't know, like, if you can actually afford that amount, right? That's what I tell clients, right? Like, no point to be looking at $800,000 houses if you can only afford seven hundred. dollars So um, that's why I encourage people to get pre-approved.
What's your take on, I guess, maybe I've just heard in the news over the last few weeks of houses being bought and sold without the homeowner's knowledge. So whether it's thefts or anything, like, is there anything that, uh, from a mortgage perspective, there's any way that could have, like, if the mortgage agent was looking at it, could have said, whoa, 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 red flags up the yin-yang. This is not, this shouldn't be happening or whatever. Well, there's a couple things. There are some things that people can um, do to try to avoid those situations. So um, the first is typically houses like that typically are actually owned free and clear so that there isn't a mortgage on there to discharge. It just makes it easier because you have one less um, party involved because you're not actually having to discharge a mortgage. Plus, the person's walking away with less money if there actually is a mortgage on it because you have to pay that out. The lawyer would have to pay oh, that sorry. out. Oh, sorry. Pause one second there, Lord. So just so maybe people that may not know, but there were some reports uh, from the last few weeks in here in Canada where there were people whose homes were actually getting sold without their knowledge. Correct. Right? So people were buying homes. I guess these people have falsified these buyers or sellers were falsifying documents and whatever and they were selling homes that the actual owners found out that wait a minute why my house is sold (laughs) or i live here what are you talking about so that's where this is kind of thing so there was some obviously some criminal underbelly stuff going on because Mm -hmm. obviously I, i can't think of any way that anyone within the sales process from the mortgage to the sales and inspections all and the financing would have not seen something but Apparently, some of them are very sophisticated. So, sorry. Continue, Laura, with the, what you're saying. Yeah. So, just some clarity. So, the for the listeners, is that the sellers were the ones that were fraudulent. So, they were finding these houses nice. that were currently vacant, um, found a realtor who then sold the house to an unknowing buyer, um, and then when the house closed, obviously the fraudulent sellers aren't buying something else. They're literally walking away with the proceeds of that sale. So that's that's what was happening. Um, oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Right. Yeah. So a couple ways to kind of avoid it generally is if you do have a mortgage free house, which again, those are the types of uh, homes people are looking for, because then they walk away with all of the money. Um, plus, uh, again, you don't also have to bring a bank in that is involved to discharge the mortgage on the house that you're selling. So we actually always recommend that you have a home equity line of credit on your house, because that is one extra step that a fraudster would have to do. Um, to get to walk away with the proceeds from that house. Um, and then separately, I think from anyone that was involved, and in that case, it would have been like the realtor and the lawyer, is you really have to know your client. So if someone's calling you off the street, which totally does happen with realtors, because they have those bus signs, and uh, a lot of people literally will just call agents, um, is really making sure you know the client, uh, both like checking all of their ID and um, verifying who they are. And then the same thing from the lawyer's perspective. So they also need to verify who that person is, I think is a couple ways that could have helped prevent that situation. Some people would argue that the uh, people who own the home shouldn't be leaving them vacant. My opinion is it's your house. You can kind of do what you want with it. Yeah. But that is another challenge is that the house was left vacant for enough time that could actually be shown uh, in the market and things like that. So that's the other thing. Yeah. And some of, some of these, some of the people I think were also out of country mm-hmm. as well. So like they could be there, whether they were uh, snowbirds or other people that let's say they spend a certain time, a certain amount of time, many months in let's say Asia or mm-hmm. Europe for the most part. So it, it, it it's not unheard of that it could, they can probably find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think that's pretty scary, especially for if it's a first time home buyer as well, thinking that, all right, 
this is now free and clear, or at least now I can buy this home and it's going to, we're going to raise our kids here and then find out, okay, they just took my money. Mm -hmm. And now what do we do? I had so, a, a financial partner planner call me a couple of weeks ago and one of his clients, so elderly woman house was free and clear, um, had someone in her house doing some handyman work. So just someone she hired and the person put a mortgage on her house. So the oh poor God. elderly lady is now dealing with the police. She's needing to pay the mortgage while they figure all that out. Um, and someone's walked away. I think in that case, it was $120,000 of uh, money. And I don't know how you can sleep defrauding people like that. I, I, I think most people have strong enough morals that they can't, you know, do it. Like I remember my son one time, I could, and my son was really small. I think he was maybe like, I don't know, three or four. We were at a shopper's drug mart and he yeah, he took some he he took a pair of sunglasses mm -hmm. and we left the store. Mm -hmm. And he didn't tell me until we got in the car. Because mm -hmm. I guess he had it in his pocket. So it's not like he was wearing it. Yeah. And I just happened to look in the mirror and said, Where's that? Oh, it's sunglasses. I'm like, You stole it? <laughs> right? Yeah. And he's like, I guess he I can't remember what his response is, but we marched right back in there <laughs> with sunglasses in tow. We looked at a staff member. I said, Gay, you know, I told my son, what are you going to say? Hmm. He's like, I stole this. And he's like, no, you accidentally took it. And then the staff was great. Just pat him on the head. Okay, just make sure you don't right. do it again. But thank you for bringing it back. And so that's so I can't imagine defrauding anybody over any kind of money. Yeah. You know, it's like, that, that's just, I don't know how you can do it. But hey, do you need an error-free website? Do you need transcriptions that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories Podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.